0: Just go to Cars.com. It's magical. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut!
1: What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title.
2: Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void or Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito
0: And welcome to Finsider Radio. This is Matt Kanata, joined by Aaron Sutton and Joshua Houts. The Miami Dolphins getting their first win of the 2019 season, defeating the New York Jets, defeating them handily, and making a statement to former head coach Adam Gase, making a statement in terms of what they were doing on the field without some of their star players, such as Rashad Jones and Xavier Howard, and halfway through the game, Preston Williams, who we will get to Later on in the show, and talk about his, how his injury is going to impact the rest of this season and next season as well. I know a lot of fans are upset. I know a lot of people are upset about the Dolphins winning. We have our feelings on that, which we're going to discuss. But all in all, you have to be encouraged. It's almost a catch 22. And our friend Chris Kaufman at CK Parrott from Three Yards Per Curie actually mentioned something like this as well. And he said, Listen, it's a catch 22. Would you rather have a coaching staff who cannot find a way to win a game against inferior teams such as the Jets, such as the Bengals, such as the Redskins, or would you rather have them win those games, even though they didn't beat the Redskins but they came close, have them win those games and say, okay, this is a coaching staff we can put our trust in heading into 2020. And I I think when you put it like that, and I know we've discussed this on on our show as well, I think when you put it like that, things make a little more sense and are a little more easier to grasp because, yes, it is certainly a catch-22, but at the same time, a lot of fans, probably 80%, 90% want that number one pick, would rather see the Dolphins go 0-16 to secure that number one pick, but then you got others who are... We can still get the number one you know, pick. Just not caring about as possible. We've all talked about it on the show. We've all talked about it on Twitter, Sutton Houts. You know, your immediate thoughts after Sunday's victory over the Jets.
1: Well, first of all, I don't know if I got muted back there, but we can still get the number one pick. So it's not, it's not out of the realm of possibilities. And I th- thought I would feel more conflicted going through the game, you know, going up uh, 21-7 there in the, in the second quarter. But I felt kind of good. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick looked good. Preston Williams was playing well. The offense clicked. You know, it just seemed like it seemed like earlier in the year you thought that maybe this was going to be a dumpster fire. Oh my gosh, this is going to be an emotionally turbulent season for everybody involved. And what you've seen is uh, a few players go and now you're seeing the players kind of come together right now and I think they have really rallied around each other. And now what you're seeing is some inspired team ball, And I think that's exactly what you saw on Sunday. So i uh, I'd never have a problem with seeing a good team ball like what we saw on Sunday,
2: yeah, and for no matter how we as fans view this season, whether we want to tank, you don't want to tank, the coaches didn't want to tank. You know, the players didn't want to tank. If anybody, maybe it was the front office, but, Every week, you see steady improvement from the team, whether it be coaching, you know, Fitzpatrick in the offense, the defense. I mean, you're starting to see steady progression. You're starting to see some of these young players, the young nucleus, you know, start to develop. And, I mean, that is kind of what you want to see from this lost season. No one expected a Dolphins to make the playoffs. No one expected them to go out there and, you know, even have eight, eight, nine wins, you know, whatever it might be. But you're seeing steady progression, and that's all you can really ask for from this team. To beat the Jets, I mean, everyone hates the Jets. We hate Adam Gase just as much as, you know, any coach in the NFL. To see him go out there and, like you said, handedly beat them. I mean, it's kind of what you wanted to see. It's kind of what you expected to see from the Dolphins in comparison because the Jets are a dumpster fire. You know, for as bad as the Dolphins were heading into this game, they're not in the same situation that the Jets are. And heading into the season, no one expected the Jets to be this bad. So, you know, it is – It hurts a little bit because maybe they don't get to it. But at the end of the day, it's all out of our hands. You know, nothing that we do as fans can dictate the end result. So just enjoy the rest of the season because we talk about it all the time. You sit here and you wait for the season to get here and it flies past. And then you're just waiting for football again. Enjoy these last eight games. Enjoy seeing the steady progression. And it finally seems like the Dolphins have the right coaching staff in place to, you know, eventually lead this team to good things. I said it on Twitter Yesterday, I believe it was,
0: on Monday, you know, we all like to root for something, right? Because it's fun. That's why a lot of us play fantasy football. That's why people bet on sports. That's why people get hooked to sports. I mean, hell, I stayed up. I had to take a plane back from Florida today at 6 a.m. with two little children, and I had to wake up at 3 a.m., right? But I decided to stay up for the end of the Cowboys-Giants game. Because I had Amari Cooper going, and the other guy had the Cowboys defense going. And I, I won, barely, because of the Cowboys fumble. But the point is, I stayed up the entire game for the sole purpose of making sure, or ensuring, or seeing if I would win my fantasy football matchup. So the point is, that, yes, rooting for something is fun. Rooting for something makes us want to watch football. Rooting for or whatever sport you may be rooting in. Rooting for something such as the Dolphins tanking makes this season a little more bearable for those who may not be able to stomach it. However, at the end of the day, not one of us, none of us have control over the outcome on the field. Hell, Chris Greer does not have control over the outcome on the field. We may say that he has built this roster to self-destruct during games, to not win a single game. But when you go, step between those lines, when those players run out of that tunnel, when those coaches are preparing throughout the entire week to win this game, to be to hell with Chris Greer, he has no control over what happens on that field. And no fans do either. So, like you said, Houts, embrace it. Whatever happens, happens. And let everything work itself out. Because if you sit here, or if we sit here, and if anyone else sits here, And says, well, I'm hoping the Dolphins get the number one pick. And and the Dolphins must get the number one pick. Well, now they're in danger of not getting the number one pick. So now are you going to be miserable the rest of the season? Or are you going to root for wins? Do. So, you know, for me, I'm taking it week by week. I love seeing the improvement in this team. It shows me that this coaching staff is probably the real deal. I know very small sample size, so you can't make any definitives. But small sample size shows they're on the right track. You got guys like Mike Gazicki breaking out this season, had a phenomenal game against the Jets. Devontae Parker, against his former head coach, had another really nice game. You look at a guy like Preston Williams having a really nice year. Mark Walton, who was cut by the Bengals, having a nice year, although he was suspended for four games. But the point is, again, I'm making another point here. This coaching staff is developing players that have not been developed before, and now we're seeing the fruit of their labor, the results of it, and how this is all going to carry over from this season until next season.
1: Both those head coaches just on on opposite sides, just the different storylines that have applied to them. I mean, think about where Adam Gase has – where. Where he was and where he is now. I mean, think about how we felt about him at one point. Think about how we felt about Adam Gates when he helped lead the Dolphins to a 7-2 and two end of the year to make the playoffs. And he was getting close to doing it the next year, too. And we were getting ready to say, let's just make him the king forever. At least I felt that way at some point. And now look where we are with Adam Gase. And now that you look at Brian Flores and how we felt at the beginning of the year when you're getting trounced by Baltimore and you're getting trounced by New England and you're getting trounced the first entire uh, first quartile of the season. So we didn't really see any good football until after the bye week. And now what we're starting to see, like I was saying earlier in the show, is the guys are coming together and it seems like – there's a little bit of cohesion here, so uh, ironically enough, despite how it's been set up for them, these guys are actually kind of rallying around each other, so this is, we're going to get some more glimpses here in the next uh, few games, but even from now until the end of the season, we might have a wildly different opinion at the end of the season about this coaching staff, so one game at a time, but savor what we just did to the Jets, that picture of Adam just sitting by himself on the bench looking at his playbook is going to, I think, going to be etched in his coaching legacy. Yeah, and
2: it's just crazy because at one point, I mean, this guy was the, you know, a young offensive mastermind. I remember Steven Ross even called him a young Don Shola, and just to think of where he is right now, you're absolutely right, and I mean, I think that we were some of the few that, you know, we were going through our coaching candidates on the show, and we kind of talked ourselves into Brian Flores after reading through his resume. It took a few games to finally see that fire, and and to see you know it all start to come together. But it does seem like you know things are trending in the right direction. Just to touch on the first pick, I mean, if there's anyone that you know, I, I think I can say here, I can clearly state that I would rather have Tua Tagovailoa than any of these other quarterbacks in this class. But if the Dolphins, if that is their only you know hope if their only hope heading into this draft was that they were going to tank this bad and have the surefire first-round pick, like, that's a little bit alarming to me. I think it would be naive to sit here and say that is the only quarterback they're heading into this draft, you know, with their eyes on. They've been doing extensive work on the entire class. So just because they might not get Tua, you know, it's not the end of the road. We saw a guy like Daniel Jones. Everyone hated that pick. No one liked Daniel Jones. And you're starting to see that he can be a franchise quarterback. Same thing with Josh Allen. So just let things play out. Again, it's out of our hands. And eventually, you know, if the right people are in place, the the good will eventually come. And we still play the Jets,
1: we still play the Bengals, and the Jets play the Bengals. So there is still some opportunity to get the number one pick. A lot of football left to be played. One person who won't be participating in a lot of football
0: left this season is Preston Williams, who injured – one, his wrist during the Jets game. And then two, tore his basically, but they didn't say torn ACL, but they said he suffered an ACL injury. Which means that he is going to be out for most of the offseason, almost all of the offseason. And probably won't be back until the middle end of training camp in 2020. Preston Williams having a phenomenal year the untreated rookie free agent. If not for the terrible pro day showing that he had, in addition to the domestic violence issues that he was facing he would have been a day two pick. And we've talked about this several times on the show, but he is the real deal. He is legit. He is going to be a force to be reckoned with in this Miami Dolphins offense and in the NFL for years to come. Big bodied receiver. Even when Fitzpatrick is throwing in tight windows, Preston always almost finds a way to come up with it. And if he doesn't, he at least gets his hands on it, which shows that there is promise there and that he can keep improving to get to where he needs to be. But big blow for this Dolphins offense. Not necessarily in terms of those those fans who want to tank and not win another game. But anytime you can get a rookie reps in a game situation, the better and better it gets. And Preston Williams is not going to get roughly eight of those game reps. So, you know, that that kind of hurts him in his development. But I'm sure he will be back bigger and stronger than ever.
1: The ACL just... It's an injury that these players have just been amazing at recovering from. I don't know how else to put it. I mean, I feel like I would be out for three years, and I'd have, like, one of those leg braces with the spikes coming out of your knee. Like, I would be a complete mess, and these guys just bounce back nine, ten months. And, uh, yeah, it's a grind. We saw Andrew Luck retire just based on the grind of having to rehab. So... Uh, Preston's a young kid and and hopefully that he's able to um, overcome all the challenges that rehab will present uh, but hopefully after all is said and done that he, he comes back ready to go in the preseason and uh, probably be unrealistic of us to expect him to just come on the scene and explode and and take over like we, we saw this past Sunday against the Jets uh, but I think uh, maybe halfway through the season, we could reasonably expect him to uh, get a little bit of chemistry with whoever the quarterback's going to be at that time. So it's going to take a little time, the reps and practice, all that, all those kind of things.
2: Yeah, and I think my biggest issue with this, and I'm sure if you follow me on Twitter, if you've seen it, was that he got hurt returning a punt. And I know that this is something that rookies have to do. I'm sure it's something that Preston Williams wanted to do. But the guy's 6'5". It was clear that he is one of your star wide receivers. To me, it was just dumb to have him back there. 32 receptions on the season, 428 yards, three touchdowns. Our good friend Mike jokingly said the Dolphins are acting as though they had Jerry Rice. I looked up the statistics. Believe it or not, Preston Williams, through the first eight games of his career, had more yards and had as many touchdowns in eight games as Jerry Rice did as a rookie. So uh, he's not Jerry <laughs> Rice, but maybe he's Jerry Rice.
1: But okay, so how is Preston Will Williams a better punt returner than Jaheim Grant? That's what I think I don't understand. We just gave Jaheim Grant. Yeah, House. On- we, I, I saw I saw five. your
0: tweets. Yeah, House. I just, I want to hear this from you too because I saw your tweets. You were kind of going at it with Omar Kelly a little bit about why Preston Williams was returning punts. And I agree with you outs. I don't think, you know, maybe at the beginning of the season, sure. But I don't think, you know, once he started showing his dominant self, that there was any need for him to be back there. And like you said, when did you ever think that he was going to break one for a touchdown? I mean, he seems like the guy like you alluded to that could get 10, 20 yards and get in good field
2: position, but not a guy who was going to break one free. I think Sutton mentioned the name, Jakeem Grant. I mean, they gave him a four-year, $24 million what extension or contract through, you know, and he is basically a return guy. I mean, he's an explosive, dynamic playmaker. When the football's in his hands, I know he's had problems muffing the ball. I mean, I know he hasn't been the surest punt returner that the Dolphins have had, but it just doesn't make sense to me. And everyone keeps saying, you know, who else are you going to have back there? There's Alan Hearns. There's Albert Wilson. I mean, the list goes on and on. There are plenty of people that you could have back there. Returning punts, they, they point out that he had what, like, he leads the NFL with 11 yards per return. Like, what is that? Who cares? I mean, it, to me, it doesn't make sense. I complained about it during preseason when he was back there. I mean, even then, you know, he was just all potential. You stu- saw it through eight games, how valuable he is, how good of a receiver he can be. To me, it just made no sense. I did the research. Mm-hmm. The next talk... Tallest receiver or punt returner was six foot one. I mean, it's just not something you have a six foot guy do. And again, Preston Williams was never going to take one to the house. It makes no sense to me. And to see it go down the way it did the guys out, I mean, he might not even be starting the 2020 season. It's, it's ridiculous to me.
0: And whatever quarterback, the Dolphins draft will not have that opportunity to work with Preston Williams in OTAs in training camp. I mean, at least the early part of training camp in the mini camps, it, they're just not going to be able to form that chemistry that you want a rookie quarterback to have with one of their best wide receivers. It's unfortunate unless, uh, you know, the Dolphins maybe trade for Cameron Newton and that would be interesting. Or <laughs> they just put Mike Jasicki out
2: wide. I can't do that that Cam Newton has been real fun. <laughs> Who is that? That was Adeline.
0: Is that Adeline? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. let's talk. Let's talk about Cam Newton. I know this wasn't on the agenda for tonight, but let's talk about Cam Newton because people are starting to mention it. I know they're mentioning it just because Cam Newton might may be available if Kyle Allen keeps it up as the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. But do you think the Dolphins would try to swing something
1: for Cam? We could do anything, man. I mean, that's one of the the beauties of this type of capital. We have the means to do it in the draft. We have the means to do it in free agency. So, I mean, I think you just add it to your decision matrix, and you, you know that you have a lot of options to work with.
2: Yeah, and to me it was kind of a thing where, you know, if they miss out on a Tua uh, and – You know, Cam Newton checks out medically. He's 31 years old. At one point, he was the MVP of the league. I mean, he's a dynamic quarterback. If anybody were to do it, why want the Dolphins? I mean, it would just make sense. It would sell tickets. You know, again, if he's healthy, who else are you going to get in the draft that can even compare to a healthy Cam Newton? I I could see the Dolphins definitely doing it. Again, it would come down to, you know, what draft compensation it would cost, the contract, things like that. But Cam Newton, I mean, if he's available, I went to Google – the first one of the first images, he's riding a dolphin. So I thought it was fun to tweet that out and you know get get people riled up. A lot of people hate the idea personally. You can do a lot worse than Cam Newton in Miami. If the Dolphins run the table and go nine and seven, <laughs>
0: Cam Newton can be an option for them.
1: I just wonder about his durability now. I feel like his his playing style it's it's been great, but. I... Oh, no, it's taking some hits. I don't know. Yeah,
0: no,
2: I can see that. I know it's a different injury, but it has to give you a little bit of PTSD thinking back to Dante Culpepper and everything that the Dolphins went through with that. Yeah, you're right.
0: We don't want that situation again because who they pass up on again?
2: (laughs) Drew Brees! Drew Brees. This was supposed to be a happy episode, and now you're bringing, we're bringing up Drew Brees <laughs> and Dante Culpepper. I just, <laughs> I,
0: just, I, just, I, just brought,
1: I just brought this entire thing down. But no, Anyways. seriously. I, no, I mentioned Jasicki earlier. We are finally seeing him play, and I, I can get some of the nuance of the game, and seeing him make catches in the seam, uh, ran a gorgeous route on the perimeter against when he's matched up on a linebacker, jab step, got outside, Beautiful throw by Fitzpatrick. Those are the types of things that we've wanted to see from Jasicki, and he's finally kind of putting some of it together. So hopefully he can continue that upward trajectory. So if he's able to do things like that, then that kind of masks some of the losses that we have uh, with the Preston Williams injury.
2: Yeah, Mike Jasicki, I mean, he already has 248 yards, which is more than the 202 he had last year. I think he's close to breaking it as far as receptions. I mean, you're absolutely right. He's taking that next step in a New England offense. We kind of expected it. It took a little bit. It always does with tight ends, but I'm excited to see how he progresses through these last eight games.
0: Athletic player misused by Adam Gase has a dominant performance against Adam Gase. And even, you know, going also to the wide receiver group, Devontae Parker, who I mentioned earlier, said that doing that against his former head coach was sweet. And you got to understand the human side of these players who have emotions and who are able to stick it to their former head coach, who they may have felt did not use them the right way. I mean, just look at Sam Darnold. Many people are arguing he's regressed under Adam Gase. And many people are arguing that Ryan Tannehill, maybe now, his regression was not because of the injury, but it was, in fact, because of supposed quarterback guru, Adam Gase. You hate to see it. You just hate to see it. I hate to see it. <laughs> hate it. Hate everything We also it. We also hate to see that Mark Walton's been suspended for four games. Dude was coming out fast. I tweeted out at the game. I said, you know... Mark Wallen's not better than Kenyon Drake, in my opinion. But he's a better fit for this Miami Dolphins offense than Kenyon Drake is. As was Frank Gore, as crazy as that sounds. But both players put their head down and run straight north and south and run right through the hole. They don't dance around the line of scrimmage. They don't try to break every play for the home run like Drake does. They get the ball. They run to the nearest hole. They run through the nearest hole. And then they get as many yards as they can. And, and for that, you know, this Dolphins offense is built for that. Walton is built for that. Drake wasn't. Now Kalen Balazs is going to get a shot on Sunday when they take on the Indianapolis Colts with Walton gone for four days. But what I like about what the Dolphins said is that they will welcome Walton back with open arms, essentially. And I think that's just a nice show of support for one of your players who has been through a lot in the past, but has really turned it around this season.
1: Well, and what we'll see is another opportunity for Kalen Bollage to to take over the reins of the running back position. He's been very underwhelming to this point, so we'll see if he can take advantage of another opportunity. So kind of rare to get these types of opportunities at different points for a running back. So uh, let's see if he takes the bull by the horns, and we'll see some more Pat Laird. So we'll see what we have in that young man. Yeah,
2: I just threw up when you said Kalen Balaj, but Mark Walton. The biggest thing that the biggest question I have is why did it take the league so long? Everybody knew what happened in the offseason before yeah. he even came to Miami. I I don't understand why it took you know eight games into the year, the entire training camp, all that good stuff, for them to finally come down on him. Because I mean, it seemed pretty clear as day he was arrested. You know, he broke away from a freaking taser. I do agree, though. I do think he's a good fit for this offense. He's 22 years old. I don't really know that there's anything new that came out or this is some kind of ongoing issue, so I'm not too worried about it long term, but Kalen Balazs, uh, I-, I don't know how I feel about that. Give me some Patrick Laird and maybe even Myles Gaskin.
0: I'm very interested to see how Patrick Laird does. I thought he looked pretty good in preseason, so I'm interested to see how he rebounds now with the regular season and seeing how he can get back on track with this team and perhaps make a spot for himself moving forward in 2020. It's going to be a lot of fun stuff to watch out for in 2020 as the Dolphins will basically control the entire NFL starting the day after the Super Bowl. It's going to be Dolphins, all Dolphins, every day through the Combine, through free agency, through the NFL draft. It's going to be simply amazing. And one, one matchup that you all need to keep your eye on is this Saturday when Alabama takes on LSU, two versus Burrow. And uh, Burrow is rising up the draft boards in terms of what the media is seeing. And I'm sure he is rising up the draft boards on some NFL teams as well, because he basically came almost out of nowhere this year. But that's going to be a very intriguing matchup that I am very much looking forward to watching.
1: You get to see both quarterbacks go against elite defenses, and that's one of the things that you want to see with a quarterback coming into the NFL. You want to get those litmus test-type games on tape and see how they respond to that type of competition. So it's going to be a a great thing to evaluate these quarterbacks and see how they handle this type of game.
2: Yeah, I guess the biggest question mark still is whether or not two is going to play, but I think you're both right. These are two you know, very sought-after quarterbacks. Burrow is a guy that I don't think – in the history of college football, has a guy ever, you know, transferred from Ohio State, kind of just been a jag last year, and now he's a Heisman candidate, you know, many believe he could be quarterback one, it's it's crazy to see the transformation, if he goes out there and beats Alabama and Nick Saban, I mean, this, the sky's the limit for him, I'm excited to see how these two quarterbacks match up, and most importantly, just to see, you know, one of the best football games that you might see all year, this Saturday, I believe it starts at 3.30, check it out because the dolphins most likely if they get that top pick, we'll get one of these guys as our quarterback and the man helping to make that top pick. will be Brian Flores and you know, midway through the season
0: now where we're here. So I think it's time to do a nice little check in on Flores to see what, how he's been doing. And I think we all kind of touched on this during the show, but something really more formal, more brief than, than kind of what we touched on, you know, for me, Flores and, and how to, you mentioned this on Twitter the other day, but we all almost everyone wanted Chris Richard, right? I think mainly because of his passion that he showed on a sideline and the Dolphins fans were longing for someone who displayed that kind of outward passion. They didn't, we didn't get it with Joe Philbin. We didn't get it with Adam Gase. Didn't get it with Cam Cameron. The last guy we probably got it with besides Dan Campbell, who was interim coach was Tony Sperano. And even then that, enthusiasm was a little more muted. So, you know, Richard had that kind of polarizing effect on fans and, and, you know, nobody, when, when we heard that Brian Flores was interviewing, nobody got very excited about that. And then on this very show, we started reading off his resume, what he's accomplished, different things that people have said about him. And I think that all of us had a light bulb moment during that show and said, holy crap, This guy is legit, and he actually may be the answer over Chris Richard. And I think, you know, he's kind of proven that this season. Obviously, we don't know what Richard would have done. I do think Minka Fitzpatrick still would be on the team if Richard was in charge because I think Richard would have just made him into a safety instead of having that versatility that Flores demands on his defense, actually demands on his entire team. That's another story for a different day. But as far as, you know, a midseason report card, I'd probably give him a B minus right now. I'd probably give him a B minus. He has some blemishes here and there, some uh, stubbornness, uh, inability to adjust after halftime in a lot of the games thus far. But like the players, he's improving. He's a rookie head coach. And if you're going to pick a year to take your bumps and bruises, this would be the year to do so. So I'd give him a B minus.
1: I'll stick in that same category. I'll give him a C plus, B minus. And when you saw his kind of slogan coming into the season, it was, you know, he wanted a smart, tough, disciplined football team. And I think we've hit two of those three things at this point where I think we're tough just in how resilient this team is being. And I think you have you can make the case that they're disciplined. They're the Miami Dolphins are the least penalized team in the NFL, so uh, there are some. Uh, the TNT wall may have worked a little bit. I don't. I don't know. Obviously, if it was the wall or not, but. Uh, the the coaching staff is doing a good job keeping the players accountable especially with pre-snap penalties so when you combine those two things and then when you're when you think about the the capabilities that this coaching staff has in terms of getting new additions next year you get pretty excited about what what they can do Uh, but we also have to understand that uh, we have some recency bias right now And we still need to take into account that there's going to be quite a few more football games this season and that our opinion could change. So, uh, right now, B minus C plus, and it's encouraging to think that things are looking up. Uh, We've seen things crash and burn too. So, we just want to um, see consistent uh, upward. Trajectory, and that's what we've seen thus far. So hopefully, that's what we continue to see through the rest of the season.
2: Yeah, and I'll try to be a little different because you guys both hit in the same area. We'll go with an A minus over here. I mean, you talked about the passion. We saw it Monday night against you know the Pittsburgh Steelers a few weeks ago, where he said, uh, you know, they they overturned that one call, and he was just irate. I think if you read his lips, he said, "F out of here with that BS." He was upset, very angry, very vocal. And you're right. You see this team; they're the least penalized compared to. Those Adam Gase teams that just seem like, you know, they kept shooting themselves in the foot. You asked for a upwards trajectory. It's kind of what you're seeing. You know, he's getting the most out of guys like Raquan McMillan. Um, you know, I mean, Taco Charlton looked like a reject and Dallas. Came over. He's starting to make a name for himself. Vince Beagle, a throw-in you know, in that Kiko Alonso trade is leading the team in pressure. So there's different instances of these guys, you know, starting to show their talent and he's bringing out the most in these players. The players have never given up other than, you know, maybe Minka Fitzpatrick who didn't want to be versatile. Uh, You know, even Kenny Drake, you know, until his last days, you know, I don't think he ever – vocally said that he wanted to be traded or wanted out of Miami. So for him to take over this roster, a team that was depleted, you know, even before the Tunsil trade and the different moves that went down, I mean, he has what many consider the worst roster in the NFL. He's won a football game now. I see no reason why he's not going to win two or three more by the end of the year. Again, things can change, like you said, Sutton, in with the drop of a hat. But what we see out of Brian Flores given this roster, you know, given what he's in, came in here and inherited – I'm going to give him an A- just to be a little bit different than the two of you, but I think we can all agree, you know, if he continues doing what he's doing now, the Dolphins have the right coach in place. They have $130 million in in 2020. They got all those draft picks. If they can hit on any of those picks, I mean, this this is the most important offseason in Dolphins history, and I think if they can get the things right, get the right players in place, Brian Flores is the coach that will eventually lead us to the promised land and will eventually bring to the Dolphins what we have all hoped for our entire life and yes, that is the Lombardi Trophy. Uh, I'm gonna say give this guy an A minus. Get the statue ready to be built. He looks like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Get it ready. I'm all I'm sold on Brian Flores. <laughs> a minus. That's bold of you, but I like it. I like it. I had to be I had to be different. So we'll go A minus. I was gonna say a plus, but then I'm just I'm just a homer jerk. Then you're just a, you're just a homer. Absolutely.
0: All right. The Miami Dolphins will play the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday. November 10th, they will travel to Indianapolis. It's actually a 4.05 p.m. Eastern time game. So if you're not a guy or a girl who watches the Red Zone channel, you have a few hours free in the early afternoon before you settle in to watch the Dolphins get their second victory of the season. They'll then play the Bills and then the Browns. And that is a very winnable game for Miami. I think every game the rest of the way is winnable, to be absolutely honest with you, maybe except the Patriots. But this Brian Flores has his team playing hard and for him. And we saw that video in the locker room afterwards. And we all are old enough or young enough to remember when every reporter was saying that Brian Flores was in immediate danger of losing this locker room. Seemed like the very opposite of that based on that video where the players were rallying around him, rooting for him, cheering for him, and giving him the respect that he rightfully deserves. I think we're headed in the right direction with this team. Anything else, boys, before we wrap up the show?
1: Thank you, Baltimore Ravens, for beating the Patriots. And that was nice. I was shocked. Uh, Tom Brady actually shook hands with Lamar Jackson after the loss. I figured he would have ran back to the locker room without doing any handshaking. He did.
0: he did. That was nice of him.
2: And let's just try to remember that we could have had Lamar Jackson, but we got Minka Fitzpatrick instead and then traded him. No, This was supposed to be a happy show and you just made it sad. You can't say Lamar Jackson without me bringing that up. He's the new Drew Brees <laughs> in my head. It's it's all I'm ever yeah, going to think about when I see him running rampant. But on
0: I, I, I don't know that he would have had the same success in Miami that he's having in Baltimore. Greg Roman is the perfect offensive coordinator for his style of play. I absolutely agree. I mean, he turned Kaepernick into gold, right? So uh, I think he's the right guy for Lamar Jackson. All right, son, anything else? No, it was good to do a show with you guys. It's been a while. It's been a while. We've all been kind of crazy busy, except Houts, who's been mm. kind of holding down the
2: fort for us. I did like what? one oh. podcast each week. I didn't hold down anything. Okay. <laughs>
3: hey. It is but what this, it is. Was is our,
2: our, this was our first one since, what, like week one? <laughs> yeah, <don't laughs> stop it. I think it's been like two, three weeks where we've
0: all, all three of us have been together. But, but hey, life it, gets the right bad. Life gets in the way. We all have kids. We all have families. We all have full-time jobs. And we can't dedicate ourselves 24 hours a day, seven days a week to the Miami Dolphins like some others could. You know, good for them that they could do that. But, you know, we have to pick our priorities and choose our kids and family over Dolphins. And that's just the way it's going to be. I just made the podcast sad again. I'm sorry.
2: (laughs) That's been an ongoing trend. It's what we do. Lots of sadness. Hopefully there won't be any
0: sadness this coming Sunday. Again, Dolphins taking on the Colts for those tanking fans. You're rooting for a loss for those who want the Dolphins to win. You're rooting for a win. One quick note before I sign off on this show. You know, I'm sitting in the Miami, uh, the Hard Rock Stadium on Sunday. I'm looking around at all the fans and the stadium was pretty full. And then I would say that it was probably 60, 40 Dolphins fans, maybe even 65, um, 30. Oh, what is it? 65, 35. I'm, I'm terrible at math. 65-35 Dolphins fans. But you see the passion in these fans at the stadium. And you see how much effort they put into tailgating before and after the game. And setting everything up and painting their faces and getting dressed up. Those are the fans that want to see the Dolphins win. And it's easy for us sitting at home, right? Waking up, rolling out of bed, taking a shower, doing whatever we do on Sunday mornings, getting ready for the big game. It's easy for us to say, oh, tank. But when you're actually spending your hard-earned money every home game for the Dolphins, that takes on a little different perspective. And I was looking around and I'm like, you know what? These guys, the ones who root for this team week in and week out here at Hard Rock Stadium, they deserve to see a win. And the, the crowd was amped up for that victory. And I think, you know, those are the fans that the Dolphins on the field are playing for the ones who want to see the wins rather than the ones who want to see the Dolphins tank. For Aaron Sutton and Joshua Houts, I am Matt Canada. Thank you for listening to FinSider Radio. We'll talk to you next time.
3: We drink the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking super cool. Cause we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, river, Miami.